I'm Crew, and I was in the music video for Rapper's Delight. I'm Vincent, and I just want to be your tugboat captain. We are the music beat reporters at The Daily Californian. And this is a music podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the first episode of This is a Music Podcast. Every episode, we'll discuss a different topic centered around music, relating to the artistry behind the industry. We'll tell some related personal stories, banter for a bit, and then talk about a specific album, artist, or genre in the hot seat. Through this process, we're hoping to explore and broaden your relationship to music, as well as ours, as a whole. We love music. If you're here, you probably love music, too. Today's theme is growing up. The ways in which we fall in and out of love with the music of our youth and the bands that have come along with us. We'll address the age-old debate. Is it better for bands to go out while they're on top or to continue making music till the bitter end? Artists develop over time and we want to acknowledge that. So crew, uh, let's talk about the issue, right? Um, Some bands choose to grow and others choose to die. Uh, What are your thoughts? Well, I don't know if bands choose to grow and die. I think they're really based around the the audience reactions to the the music. Audiences are the people who determine whether or not a band's going to make it and hit it big in the first place. And they're the people who determine mm. whether or not the band has recycled a tired old actor is still staying true to the same sound that made them famous. Yeah, you know, I think I think bands can um, do can take either either path, um, and there there are positive and negative outcomes with both. Um, band that immediately comes to mind for me, um, I don't know. Are you familiar with the Morning Benders? No, I don't know anything about the Morning Benders. Tell me about that. So they're they're a they're a group inspired by um, the sounds of like Phil Spector and the Beach Boys, and they, they came out of Berkeley, actually. Oh, wow. um, they all went to UC Berkeley. They studied, they were in the music school here, and they um, they became a band. They dropped, uh, I think, one EP and a fantastic debut album. Uh, and then immediately after, they decided to switch gears uh, and re- change their name to Pop, etc., and completely, essentially, erase their previous sound to make music inspired by boys to men and like pop hits of the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of more bands that like are faced with the option of like grow or die. Um, I guess another one is, would well, be like, I think, yeah, go, go ahead. I think for me, uh, it's a lot of indie rock bands that mm. I think, because I think that uh, they're, they're the kind of, bands and artists that get really popular off of a given sound or album and think that that's the sound or album that works and so never really give up on that i see yeah just keep keep chasing it until uh till the flame burns out absolutely i think that's a problem that a lot of artists have whereas with pop artists there are you know demands to meet the changing needs of pop right as the landscape shifts constantly yeah, that, that's that's a really interesting uh, phenomenon that I've I've noticed that's been happening. Like, I'm, I'm thinking about your comment about like the indie the indie rock sound, right? That bands capture uh, and that they decide to like wear out to the end. And I think that's true to the degree that now indie rock, you know, originally indie rock wasn't really a musical genre so much as like a musical movement. But now you can like pinpoint a specific sound as being indie rock. And now it has little nothing to do with accessibility. It just has to do with mimicking this garage sound. You still get like rich kids from LA who want to do indie rock sounds, even if it was born out of the, you know, a lack of proper studio equipment. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) What, what bands are coming? Like, do you, I wonder if you have the same bands coming to mind um that i that i have when i'm thinking about the indie rock sound i'm literally thinking about like (laughs) cage the elephant yeah um two-door cinema club like you know like the the uh the festival circuit bands exactly 
the stuff that the stuff that the that the white kids get excited for. <laughs> of course. So I wanted to ask you, um, what does it look like when a band successfully grows or successfully decides to go out on top? I think that when a band wants to actually succeed, I think by necessity they need to look at themselves and constantly evaluate their own uh, albums, their own body of work. Mm. And I think that a lot of artists just fail to do that and so either get stuck in a rut or try and innovate into something that is completely against what people wanted. How much of that do you think is like related to like sacrificing the artist's personal vision? Do you believe in that compromise? Uh, yeah, I I definitely think that that compromise is true. I mean, look at Brockhampton after their original run of Saturation albums, signing a record deal, I think definitely impacted their sound and in my opinion, I think it did it in a negative way. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, whereas you look at a, a band like MGMT, where I think they made their second album uh, unlistenable on purpose, or their, sorry, their third album, MGMT, self-titled, unlistenable on purpose because it allowed them to, it allowed the spotlight to get taken off of them so they could make something like Little Dark Age. Right. Yeah, that's actually really interesting because um, I, when I think of MGMT, I really only remember the the triumvirate of mgmt singles you know um time to pretend uh electric feel and kids and then i think about the new album uh and, that, and that's kind of really it like all the other music in the middle um i think there are some good songs off congratulations but like the majority of the songs in the middle just kind of like aren't really memorable at all well i love congratulations but i'm not here this isn't the MGMT defense episode. <laughs> okay, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I, I like that record too. But uh, I, I think, objectively speaking, I don't think those songs hold up quite as well as like you know the big three, which is really interesting with MGMT. You know, they um, they came out of the gate with those three singles. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. No. I mean, they 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 come out of this college circuit making all the songs that they're famous for basically right out of the gate with the time to pretend ep uh which has mm -hmm. you know time to pretend and kids on it oh uh, that's my favorite one time to pretend when, <laughs> once that hits <laughs> then they can start cranking out uh all the great stuff that you hear on oracular spectacular and then after that we have the classic question, the one that we're trying to discuss in this episode, the grow or die dynamic. Yeah, I'd like to point out um, an example of a band that I think went out on top. Uh, and they, they kind of knew it was their time. Um, and that band would be Galaxy 500. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, they, um, yeah, they're like a three-piece slowcore outfit um, from the late 80s. And across their three albums, the, the range of songs isn't very big, but I think they're very aware of that. They just took that specific sound and they perfected it over the course of three albums. I think the peak being uh, on fire. And then uh, after their third album, they just kind of decided that was, that was going to be it. And peace out. Honestly, I think I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm glad they did because the body of work that they left behind is pretty bulletproof. <laughs> And so I guess that like that begs the question like what would you rather have happen to your favorite band? You know, if you you think about a band that you've been listening to for a long time and they've been changing their sound or they haven't, but you're still on board and you're not you aren't really sure what direction you would rather have them take. Would you rather them quit while they're on top or you know, the risk of putting out another album is the risk of disappointment. But I guess sometimes it's worth the risk. I say crank them out until you die. Wow. Okay. I would honestly argue for going out while you're on top. Well, I think I think that's interesting because we definitely both have stories to share that kind of take the uh, the opposite approach. You know, I, I think I really want to talk about a band where I think they grew a lot in their output. And you're going to want to talk about one that yeah. you thought kind of yeah. went out without a lot of fanfare. And I think maybe that that kind of reflects our yeah. our opposing fears or desires that I hope that 
a band can get through the muck to eventually make something great. Right. Okay. Yeah, let's hear it. All right. Yeah, sure. Sometimes you experience a lifetime in a day, not your lifetime, but someone else's. And that's what, you know, binging is all about. You sink your teeth into this big, sprawling storyline in a really condensed amount of time. Binging a discography for any musician or artist is a lot like binging anything else. You get this sense of the artist's story, the arc of their career as a whole, and you get all this in a relatively short amount of time. It's normally pretty hard to find the time to crank through that many albums because, you know, we don't want to just sit in a chair and spend time with music the way we spend time with TV or a book. Right. The the visual stimulation is, it's important. And that visual stimulation is debatably available in the great state of Utah. Oh. It's a lot like its yeah. neighbors, Nevada and Arizona and New Mexico. You know, it's big and flat. It's hot. There's a lot of emptiness. There are a lot of Mormons. But it does have all these oases, you know, after California and Alaska, it has the most national parks of any state. It's got five. Zion, Capitol Reef, Canyonlands, Rice Canyon, and Arches. Have you ever been to any of those? Yeah, I've, I've actually, I've done that road trip with my family just uh, a couple years ago. Well, oh, that's that's actually crazy because I was, when I was last out there, that was a few, yeah, a few summers ago. <laughs> really? It was, uh, it was t- 2018, I think, 2018 or 17. Mm. And so in that... In that summer, I got to drive between these various oases. The stretches of big desert between the parks were, like, pretty boring, pretty empty. The scenery is really nice at times, but at other times, when you have nowhere to stop and nothing but desert to look at, it can get kind of grating. I thought it was the perfect time to finally listen to all the Arctic Monkeys albums. Like Utah's national parks, I'd heard a lot about them. I'd heard a few of their songs, and I'd never really gotten the chance to listen to albums entirely. Uh, and when I put on whatever people say I'm that's what I'm not, I was hooked. The debut did not disappoint. As I rode through these scenic landscapes of Utah, I lived out the life of this combative British youth, getting thrown out of pubs and pouring adolescent energy into these roaring guitar riffs, just drinking with the lads you know of course wow what a what a strong debut album it's great it just it punches you in the face that's what that kind of album is yeah yeah it's it's exactly what you're looking for in a debut something that's attention grabbing and strong distinct but still familiar totally agree and then the desert started (laughs) right yeah the utah desert really got to us it wasn't really a desert you know how the Southwest is. Oh, There's a yeah. lot of shrubs and there are some trees out in the middle of nowhere. Some bright spots and beautiful areas, but mostly flat, boring, kind of nothing. No offense to Utahns. And that's also coincidentally how I felt about the next three Arctic Monkeys albums. I, 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 was, I was shocked. I thought they were just going to do the same stuff forever, that their music was just going to stagnate like the water on top of Utah's big flat plateaus. It was terribly boring to me. I liked the, you know, the dark mystery of 505, but it still felt amiss. Brian Storm and Fluorescent Adolescent, I had been told were among their best songs. But to me, favorite worst nightmare was plain. It was more of the same, and I think that's the best of the three. <laughs> Humbug, wow. Suck It and See, absolutely forgettable. They had bastardized the sound which had propelled them to success. At this point, I feel like the Arctic Monkeys are lost. Coincidentally, so was I. Not everywhere in Utah has service, but that's okay because neither does California or Alaska or any other state in the Union. Stopping at a gas station for directions, I was able to ponder the Arctic Monkeys as a whole. And it was such a bummer for me because I was really excited to listen to the discography of this band I'd heard so much about. And now listening to their last two albums just felt like a chore. And then Arches. The impossibly curved rock formations, coincidentally enough, looked a lot like the cover of AM with that wiggling line going across the album. What a bold title. AM. So short, so declarative of the band's existence. It's not just the band's initials, but literally 
a verb stating that this album is what they are and it's where they're going. And it's a lot of effort and a lot of weight to put on an album. But finally, the Arctic Monkeys got through to me after the disaster of the last three. They were, to me, so aware of their flaws, addressing them eloquently and with fervor. They were the same scrappy youth as always, fighting for their musical lives. But for the band, it was still fresh. It was different, and it was fantastically executed. And, you know, I got to drive through one of the best national parks in Utah. If you ever go back to Arches and you didn't the first time, go look at the LaSalle Mountains through Delicate Arch. It's a gorgeous view. It reminds me a lot of the album cover of Ye, actually. I know it's a different mountain range, but it's just mountains with white-tipped snow at the top through this big, bizarre rock formation. AM, for me, was a turning point for the Arctic Monkeys. It's this flirtatious album, confident, interesting, and there was something so special about the way the Arctic Monkeys had built a new sound for themselves, freeing themselves of the shackles that they had put on themselves. And bands have to do that all the time. When you're successful right out of the gate, like the Arctic Monkeys, like MGMT, you constantly have to prove yourself. You have to show that you're not some one-note, one-album band. And once you get past those restraints, you have all the artistic opportunity in the world. Yeah. Driving out of Arches, I Want to Be Yours, faded into quietness, and I braced for their newest album. I turned on Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino. I was nervous. Odds were it was going to suck. Oh, man. I love that album. But like you say, I loved it. When I heard that album's first line, I was filled with excitement and relief. Alex Turner knew what he was doing. He understood the lore of the band and the artistic journey of the Arctic Monkeys. I was thrilled to listen to Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino and driving through Utah and then out of Utah into Colorado, I was fortunate enough to feel actually fulfilled. And that's just a nice feeling, you know? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, the Arctic Monkeys are just a, a band that you you kind of just want them to succeed. Absolutely. I think it's fascinating, like, how they, like, went from that, like, sunny British indie rock sound to they just wound up making sci-fi space jazz on their last record and it just somehow ended up working you know it's great yeah but I mean that's 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 a band that I think succeeded do you feel like any bands have have not done that for you have gone downhill since their inception yeah um for sure I actually have a story myself about such an experience. Let me let me strap in. Let me sit down. You know, bands and music, when, when people think about bands and the music they grew up with, you know, the biggest thing is nostalgia, I would say. And it took me a while to experience music in a way that, that wasn't like mining the past for nostalgia. Um, growing up, music was more of a static thing for me. My parents gave me some of the classics. You know, I, I knew the Beatles from Family Drives up the 101 to San Francisco and Las Vegas. Uh, I knew Duran Duran, the Carpenters, and Madonna from those trips too. Uh, a weird selection, I know, but uh, they're great. <laughs> I even remember getting a uh, mix from one of my mom's friends for Christmas. Um, her husband worked at the local radio station. Shout out Kiss FM, Southern California. And he gave me a mix of music that was like old and new stuff. So I'm talking like 2009, 2010 um, radio music like Tonight, I'm Loving You, Enrique Iglesias. Oh, yeah. Uh, Far East Movement, Like a G6, you know, everybody's middle school dance soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> and then also like cuts like um, Bizarre Love Triangle where it was in the same mix, you know. <laughs> <laughs> For the longest time, I thought New Order was a band from the mid-2000s, which is like, yeah, I, that mix really, really uh, messed my timeline up. But um, I'm thinking about all that music, um, e you know, even the music from my childhood, and it just like, it didn't really Im impact me. It, it just kind of stayed where it was, which was in the past. But I, I distinctly remember the first time that I got to choose the music for myself to choose music and find music that I wanted to grow with. Uh, and that was Viva La Vida. Oh. 
Uh, it was Coldplay. It was 2008. Yeah. I, I distinctly remember the first time I ever heard Viva La Vida. I was staying up to watch the American Idol finale. At the time, it was uh, da- the Davids. Oh, David I Cook versus David one. Archuleta. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was rooting for David Cook at the time. I remember that. I don't really remember what the music sounds like, but I remember that I was rooting for him. Um, but anyways, uh, it was during the Apple commercial that came on. During the finale, the Coldplay Viva La Vida Apple commercial, I just remember hearing the song. It was, it was so, it sounded so classical, but also so contemporary. And just like the, the four members of Coldplay, you know, pounding on their drums and just as like colors are bursting everywhere around them. <laughs> that was, that was everything to me at the time. Like I, I remember my, I convinced my mom and my dad to take me to Barnes and Noble to buy the CD. Um, and I would I I listened to it the moment we got in the car uh, to the way home, and you know, just sat at my stereo like listening to the album all the way through. I remember the soaring melodies of like lovers in Japan, the the drama of Violet Hill, and that guitar and piano jam on Death and all his friends. You know, oh, yeah. I didn't I didn't know that music could sound like that, like sound so fun and just like modern in a way that felt relevant to me you know that was that was the first time that music was really at the forefront of my attention and that was the first thing that I heard that I really wanted to grow with and you know I didn't really end up growing up with like Coldplay beyond Viva La Vida but the next time I remember encountering music that I really wanted to grow with was in high school Uh, I was 16 years old was an angsty kid, you know, high school was uh, an interesting time for me. As it is. Um, but I distinctly remember, I remember chemistry class, um, my junior year, and there were two uh, kids sitting next to me uh, named Riley and Jack, and they would always talk music. And I would always eavesdrop in on their conversations, just because um, that's the only thing that I would like notice when I would wake up from my... Uh, for my naps in that class. Um, and then one, one day they, they could just kind of tell that I was listening in on the conversation and they, they slipped me two recommendations for some albums that I might want to check out. And they invited me to jam with them for the first time. Um, that album that they recommended me, that first one was Youth and Young Manhood by the Kings of Leon. Kings of Leon. Oh man. Do you know Kings of Leon? course okay yeah i i just remember they they invited me to jam with them and we the kings of we got into riley's oh no my my friends riley and jack um but in a way in a way we jammed with the kings of leon we would have car listening sessions where we would just you know right after school get in the car uh put on the music and just drive around aimlessly um and as we drove around in the night, like throughout to the night, we were transported beyond the locations that we passed through. You know, uh, everything, everything became the background to me and the music became the, the foreground of my experience. Like I remember just rocking out to Red Morning Light and Molly's Chambers and California Waiting and just being sucked up by like the history of the band too. Uh, do you know the history of Kings of Leon, the, the background? Educate me. Okay, so they're they're like Southern rock mythological figures, I guess. Uh, they're the Followell brothers. They were the son of like a Pentecostal preacher in the South. And um, there's Nathan, there's Caleb, there's Matthew Followell, and then there's uh, Jared Followell. Jared. Yeah, the bassist. Um, basically, none of them knew how to play instruments except for one of them. And they, they hold themselves up in a basement. They kidnapped their cousin, hold themselves up in a basement with an ounce of marijuana, and they spent a month down there, and then they came out to the record um, labels with their California Waiting EP, or Holy Roller Novocaine EP. And, like, that album, or that EP, it rocked, you know? Like, the sound was just so raw and exciting, and I think combined with the knowledge of, like, what that band was, it was just exciting to hear hear them play and see where they were going to go. And, you know, we, 
me and my friends, going back to me uh, and Jack and Riley, we would keep listening, you know, throughout the years. And we, we started playing music together and we loved it. Um, and we dove further into their discography and we, we listened to them and we got to experience them start to change. Um, you know, they shifted sounds. Everyone knows Kings of Leon's from their um, probably like Sex on Fire, right? And you, somebody, those like stadium rock right. jams. But they also... Like, that's not where they came from, and that's not where they are now. You know, they, um, they even went down, like, the country path, um, with their, their album, uh, Come Around Sundown. And, you know, we listened actively and attentively, and we found ourselves liking the music less and less, just because it sounded like less and less like them, and more and more diluted, and reaching, you know, reaching towards other genres in a, in a cheap way. But I think there was like a special connection I had to finding that music, you know, finding a band that just seemed so exciting that even if I didn't like the music that was coming out from Kings of Leon, they were opening doors to me in other genres of music, like allowing me to get into other genres that I never thought that I would be interested in. You know, Um, it's because of their song Back Down South, which is far from a country song, despite the name, you know, it's it's Southern rock generously um (laughs) like that song is responsible for fostering like the beginnings of my love for country music um you know their songs like the bucket and stuff that got me into bands like nirvana and alabama shakes and um they have a song called uh, talahina sky and that got me into bahamas you know um kings of leon really propelled me to start discovering other music on my own and I guess, like, I have them to thank for instilling this, like, insatiable feeling inside me that, like, has made it responsible. I am on an co- eternal quest for new music, for good new music. Yeah, so even though my interest in Kings of Leon began to wane, I still had a lot to thank from them. But I would say the final nail in the coffin for them was the uh, album Walls from 2016. It was my uh, fall semester of college freshman year. Riley drove down from college and we went to listen to the album together in his car. And that was, that has to have been one of the most disappointing experiences with music that I have ever had in my life. <laughs> like the music was stale and indistinguishable from anything else on the radio, except for like, you know, the Kings of Leon, the raspy vocals, you know, uh, have you, have you heard of walls? Have you even like, no, did you I even have. know Kings of Leon? We're, yeah. I think right there, that's, it's proof that they're done you know the evolution is over uh you you know you know that your band isn't it when nobody even knows that they released like a new album not even like the diehard fans you you can just tell and so yeah for me the kings of leon died even if, even though they did they did release a new song are you serious this year yeah they oh, released wow. a song okay. uh going nowhere okay it i'm going to well, about as exciting as you would imagine it to be. Okay, well, I'm still gonna. I'm, but what was the? I, I may give it a listen, but there's a greater what was relationship. The silver lining. Yeah, there's there's a greater relationship between me and all the music that they tried to reach for in not giving up their sound. You know, in trying to evolve, and it opened the door to so much more. I want to go back uh, by ending my story, going back to that fateful day in chemistry. To just briefly address the other album recommendation I got that day from my friend Riley. Uh, it was a recommendation that I immediately sought out on iTunes and listened to. And that album was Is This It by The Strokes. Uh-oh. Yeah, that, that one's a game changer. Indie rock. Oh boy, oh boy. 2001 indeed i mean i didn't hear it until 2015 is this it is pretty good yeah but honestly i was just talking about the new kings of leon song that came out this yeah the strokes put out a new album this year too new abnormal they did indeed i gotta say i think it's uh i think it's better than is this it (sighs) ah that's a nuclear take crew that's a nuclear take (laughs) For for all of those of you listening, it's one th- that was <laughs> this this right it's here. It's one I'm happy. To this defend. is this is the uh, inspiration for our podcast right here. This this nuclear take of yours, crew. Um, 
This discussion between the two of us is the nexus for why we decided to record an entire podcast. You know, I, I love, yeah. Fundamental difference. I, I, I love the strokes, and I get the impression that you love the strokes too. I adore the strokes. Yeah, I I, I don't think there there's a better example of, for this year for us to, you know, explore this this debate this this uh concept of grow or die so you know the new abnormal let, let's talk about it have the strokes grown uh or have they died i think it's a little bit of both okay okay so before we before we just launch into it we have yeah. to talk about we have to talk about what we think this album is trying to accomplish yes yes okay what are the main overarching themes of this. So so tell me your input. What do you think the Strokes are trying to accomplish with this, their first release in many, many years? So yeah, let's talk concept. The New Abnormal, like a lot of the Strokes releases, you know, when the Strokes first um, came onto the scene, they were literally hailed as the saviors of indie rock. And I think that the New Abnormal, what, almost 20 years later, is very aware of that in you know, in sound, in lyrics, in, you know, in, in everything. Um, even like, you know, they got, they got Rick Rubin on this thing. So, and it, I think it's yeah. just trying to reckon with their past while, you know, proving that they still have more territory thematically and emotionally to, to explore. But I think overall strokes songs, they don't really like venture too far into like, they're not overly political. They're not overly romantic. They're not overly sentimental. It just kind of floating around in that, like, in that space, kind of like, like, like life, I guess, you know, it, it, it is a slice of life album that reckons with legacy. That, that's what, that's my take. I do think the main thing in that take that I disagree with is when I said earlier that the new abnormal is an example of growth and death. I do think that this is the last Strokes album. I might be wrong about that. What I see this album as is a parting gift to the fans, mm. a one last hurrah before we say goodbye to being the saviors of indie rock and roll. I mean, these guys are not the same young people they were 20 years ago. True that. And I think they're True that. very okay. aware of that. And I think they want to, if they're going to continue to do music, I think they want to explore it in different avenues Yeah. other than the Strokes. Maybe they'll work together again in the future, but I don't think it'll be as the Strokes. So that's what I think of the new Abnormal. I, I, Julian Last Casablanca's, for those of you who don't know, the, the front man of the Strokes, like he's got some really exciting music out with the, the Voids. I liked the Last Voids album. I thought it was cool. Yeah. Uh, Albert Hammond Jr. has been pumping out albums for the past decade you know and i think they're all pretty solid as well i think a lesser known one that i i think is interesting not to detract from the conversation but i just i just like to point this out like where the strokes are going um nick valenci like the lead guitarist he has a really cool project called crx if you've ever i don't know if you've ever heard it no i'll check it out should ever yeah you should check it out it's uh it's kind of like the cars it's like his take on the cars uh, okay <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but, but back on track to the new abnormal. Let's um, let's let's get into it. Um, we'll talk about the songs, you know, the sound, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, okay. What 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 do you not like about it? Okay. From when you, when you describe the concept to me, it sounds like you're saying it favorably. So I'm trying to figure okay, out. Okay. Okay. What is it that you don't like? About I it? I and how can I convince you that it's one of the best that it's one of the best albums of the decade a decade which is not even a full year in, i but. i think i think a lot of the concept is inherently just tied to the circumstances of the strokes like i i would agree that the the album like they know where they stand and they're very i would also agree that they are aware right i think my problem with the album is i don't think that what's actually there lives up to the concept so much whether that's like a failure in sound or songwriting. Um, that's, that is, that's ridiculous. As <laughs> soon as the album starts, okay, you have that, okay. that kind of mechanical drum beat, and then you are launched into adults are talking. Personally, as soon as I, I hear okay. that song, I have to listen to the entire album. I'm, I'm ready for the whole journey. I, okay. I'd like to, I'd like to preface this. Um, not, not that it's too late. Um, 
but you know, <laughs> I wanted to like this album more than than anything, really. I and I think that's why it was that much more painful for me to hear it, just because I don't I don't think it goes toe to toe with the older material. That being said, I do think that the adults are talking definitely um, cements itself as one of the great Strokes openers. I definitely would not disagree with that. That that was a very good start to the album. But when it comes to the songwriting, you know, the Strokes they borrow. And that's never been news. You know, they're very um, very much inspired by the Velvet Underground. Like I would say originally, but like on this on this album. They borrow like the the best hooks on this album and the the catchy choruses and everything come from I would say more potent better places like let's take the lead sing one of the lead singles bad decisions when I when I hear that song I literally can't not hear Billy Idol's dancing with myself in the background yeah like play playing louder I think it's interesting that you compare it to. To Billy Idol, because to me, it, it's Melt With You is the one that really oh, yeah. lands there. Yeah, you know, f- f- funny enough, like, Billy Idol is credited as a songwriter on Bad Decisions. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, yeah, you know, like, I think it's just so heavily indebted to that song. But also, like, yeah, it sounds to me like Modern English's I Melt With You uh, mixed with some Blink-182 guitars and... Age of Consent from New Order, you know. It, it, and, yeah, and you don't like this this this. No, it, it sounds. You yeah. feel like it's it inferior. It sounds like an eighties Frankenstein of rock and pop punk. Only like if your friends just happen to be the Strokes, you know. Um, I don't think the songs are as tight as they were on the original. Like the compositions, just. They're a lot looser and they don't, they're not as exciting as they were like originally. And I like, I don't know if that like, you can chalk that up to just like youthful energy versus not youthful energy when they're trying to conjure up like the same thing. You know, it's like revving up the engine of an old car, but it just doesn't, it doesn't fire up the same. No, it does. It doesn't fire up the same, but it's still, it'll still take you for one last drive. And that's what this. That's okay. what this album okay. is. <laughs> it's it's the it's the knowledge that they're not young anymore. That's what matters. You know, like uh on Brooklyn mm. Bridge to Chorus, the line one shot is never enough. That's that's one of the ones mm. that really gets me. Because it's got it's got this ambiguity that's loaded with a variety of meanings depending on how it's right. interpreted. Like what does shot mean in that context? Is that an alcoholism thing? Is that a gun thing? Yeah. Is that a chance thing? Is one chance never enough for the strokes? This isn't going to be able to be their last hurrah and they're going to fail? Right. No, because it's the beginning of the album and and we know that we get to see them succeed as the album continues. I think you talk about bad decisions, though, and that's definitely one that I think is has pretty much not dominated the conversation around the album, but it's definitely one of the most popular songs off of The New Abnormal. It's music video is a terrific example of, I think, what the Strokes are trying to accomplish. Okay. Tell me about it. You have this this idea in the music video, which shows a purchasable Strokes band that you can have in your own home and customize. And Yeah. That's yeah. just what we were talking about before with bands like Cage the Elephant, this kind of constant self-replication that indie rock seems to have with itself Mm -hmm. and it's fundamentally i think the music video is the strokes saying that they're kind of done with that cycle they don't really want to be a part of it anymore and that the bad decision in question would be sticking around and trying to keep fighting for the same sound that they've had Mm. the bad decision is to to stay and try and keep fighting. And I think it's it's good to know hey, it's time to time to give up the gun, let's go out in a blaze of glory. And I think that when you have a blaze of glory like that, it's got to be big and it's got to be powerful. I think Ode to the Mets does that really well. 
as an album closer. Yeah, okay. I, 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 I would agree with you there. Okay. I don't think that the, um, the new abnormal is a terrible album by like by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I think it's a, I think it's okay, but <laughs> like, I, I think it's better than anything the strokes have done in the 2010s. You know, it's better than, um, angles or, um, the future present past EP. Uh, it's definitely better than come down machine. You know, nobody, we don't talk about come down machine, um, I've never even heard of it. Yeah, the yeah. To make an album in 2013. Yeah, exactly. You know, you talk about the the bad decision. You know, to me, the album sounds like them. You know, yeah, it's a de- declaration that that this is a bad decision, and then they're making it anyways. You know, going back to like Bro- <laughs> Brooklyn Bridge to Chorus, I I think that song is just really sloppy in in like in the composition. And if, if we're going to talk about the lyrics, it feels really weird to me to hear, you know, like the strokes are there. Some of them are dads. They are in the dad age, the you dad know, phase. the dad age range. Yeah, they are in the dad phase of their life. And it, it feels really weird to hear Julian Casablancas complaining about friends who don't want him anymore. Like, I want new friends, but they don't want me. They're making plans while I watch TV. It, it, like... I think to me, like hearing that, I think that's the plight of of <laughs> it, of parents across across America. I think, especially in your thirties, you get this I, sense of oh, there's two groups of friends that divide. There's the group of friends with kids, and they can hang out and do their boring stuff with kids. Yeah, and then there's yeah. us who doesn't don't have kids yet, and they, we're the fun ones. I think that's what that's what that's kind of about. It comes across to me though, like the same way that Blink One Eighty Two making music nowadays does. You know, <laughs> like like literally, their songs are like meme worthy now. You know, where are yeah. you? That thing, like <laughs> that. That's what it comes across to me. Like, and um, well, that's the thing with 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 acts like Weezer. Yeah, yeah. Those yeah. are since you speak of bands. That's that's a band that realizes that it's getting old, but instead of doing what the Strokes do and trying to just have one final great thing, uh, Weezer just seems content to troll on the internet and make cover albums. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I, yeah, I'm not with it. I'm not with it. Um, <laughs> I, I have tuned out of Weezer since the White Album, and even that one, I thought there was just, there are only a few pickings from there that were like worth adding to the the discography it's slim pickings for the weezer stands yeah yeah yeah. there are a couple moments that of like in when we're talking about reinvention or whatever that i think like start to work i like the the vocals on eternal summer and selfless i i think that like all the ones on eternal summer not okay i like the verses (laughs) on eternal summer but I don't like when Julian starts screaming like angry Elmo. I don't like that. Uh, like the, the chorus like throws it throws me off the song. But I think it sounds it's like a really cool mix of like the weekend and like the psychedelic first, which that's that is an interesting combo that I was that was refreshing to hear. And that song, by the way, Eternal Summer is also heavily indebted to the psychedelic first in that they also receive a writing credit on that song. I do get a sense when you talk about all these influences on the Strokes album, I or on the new Abnormal, what I feel is that these are influences that the Strokes have improved upon. I think that might be one of the core differences. There's a line in Ode to the Mets where Julian sings, uh, learned all your tricks, wasn't too hard. And to me, yeah, yeah. that's the hardest flex. That's him saying, I can do what you did. It's really not that hard, and now I'm uh, never gonna make music with the Strokes again. And also, I, wow. I fear that in like five years, the Strokes will put out a new album, and it'll suck, and everything uh, I said will just be completely invalidated. But, oh, yeah, you know, I, I I want you to be right, but <laughs> I I'm just I'm just I'm just not on board in that same way. You know, I I, I like that that read of the album, it's, it is very interesting. I actually, I try to listen to the album with that, like in mind, you know, like the strokes just beating everyone else out at their game. And it still didn't work. I'm just, I'm just not sold by that because I don't think the music is better. 
Um, <laughs> even if like they do, they do pull from from these sources. You know, like the Strokes, they barely just got back together like a few years ago. You know, they've all been off doing their their other stuff, and it just like sounds to me. Like I, I can hear it in the sound. They just sound more interested in the other things that they're trying to do. And and the reason why I say that you don't think they're interested in the strokes. not not so much anymore. Um, but I would say the new abnormal is a, is a, you know, it's better than the other Strokes albums. Like Angles was completely made democratically. Like Julian straight up did not show up to the recording sessions for you know like everybody recorded their stuff separately. Um, I think he addresses that on one of the songs here. I'm th- I think it's selfless. He talks about that and he like apologizes for oh, it. Oh, does he? Yeah. Well, selfless is a great one. His vocal performance on that is stellar. I mean, you look at his vocal performance across this album. It's some of the best of his career, yeah. No, in yeah. my opinion. I mean, I think maybe uh, Instant Crush by Daft mm. Punk, that might be one of the only places where I would say he's he's doing a better job. But I think his voice is a lot more refined and mature than it is on early stuff like Is This It? I mean, with Is This It, the... What I really like is listening to the the raw demos that yeah, came from that yeah. era. I feel like if you're going to try and go with, you know, a garage rock sound, you should just go with it, get some shitty recording equipment and toss it in there. I want to I want to steer this conversation towards is this it actually because th- this is this is the heart of the nuclear take. Yes. You know, um like how does the new abnormal how does it fit into the legacy of the strokes you know is is it better than is this it is it is this really the pinnacle uh absolutely i think the thing with is this it is that there's not really a, a central theme that i find to be that interesting what's it about oh it's about uh living the life of a young person in new york that's probably one of the most overdone takes approaches in American media. I mean, you have everything from Friends to Seinfeld and TV. You have Is This It? And you have, uh, uh, I mean, Velvet Underground is New York. Yeah, yeah. But I, I would say, I, w- I would um, argue there that the Strokes, they did it best. You know, that that is the Strokes. Better than Seinfeld. The Strokes coming to to the game, you know, with the blueprint. The blueprint for 21st century indie rock basically you know there's just like something about that youthful energy that like is captured there you know in like okay julian casablancas has this really like his delivery is just very devoid of emotion but the songs have him the, the songs are slightly romantic and sentimental and then there's just the the thrilling winding like dance of guitars between um Albert and and Nick on those albums, you know, that are just like exciting. And yeah, I would say is this it doesn't doesn't sprawl. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't reach as widely as the new abnormal does. But with all the strokes, no pun intended, that that album makes, I think those are the, the definitive strokes, the definitive songs. I would not remember a guitar riff off of the new abnormal the way that I would remember the way that the guitars go on last night or someday. I would. Or hard to explain. It's funny that you say that because to me, all the all the guitar and instrumentation on Is This It is very samey. I also want to clarify like you did with New Abnormal. I love Is This It. I think it's a mm. great album. Uh, it's, you know, obviously a top 100 for me, but uh, I just think that the things that I love about New Abnormal are not really to be found in Is This It? And if I had to make the decision, uh, I would go with New Abnormal, which I think just makes me think about the strokes more than Is This It does. Because you get to look at it through this this rich history of the band and the music industry in the past 20 years. Yeah, okay. I mean, I guess that's the question, right? Have have the strokes yeah, yeah. evolved or dried out, grown or die? What's our what's our answer? Here? You know, I think the strokes set the bar very high for themselves. I think the critics set the bar even higher for them than they even wanted the bar to be set, you know? And that that's kind of been the biggest pitfall of their their journey as a band. 
has been trying to live up to that original sound in in a way that would please everyone basically you know they they, they i think they said it best julian said it best on the sophomore album room on fire like i can't win that's the ending song on room on fire which i honestly consider the definitive new abnormal statement basically yeah <laughs> um but i think if we're going to talk legacy indie rock isn't even the zeitgeist anymore and so the, the the just the argument like the strokes they may have the crown but i'm not sure one that their their crown is earned through this this album is not the one that's you know giving them their reign and two they are if they are the kings then they are the kings uh, on a pile of ash they're Sorry, they're going out my... ozymandias <laughs> Are you looking at my Daily Cal review right now? <laughs> I I have read your review, but no. <laughs> I, I had that, that, that Ozymandias thing running around. Like, I, I think that's like how I think of The Strokes' legacy, honestly. Overseeing a genre that has fundamentally refused to change and simply collapsed because of it. Yeah, I mean, not that indie rock is dead, but there's a reason why, you know, you hear people say, yeah, uh... I like indie rock, and then you just get a bunch of eye rolls, you know? Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah. With The Strokes, I I guess here it's like a middle ground take that The Strokes are trying to grow on this album, but they're, they're playing on a dead field, so it doesn't sound all that glorious to me. But I will always be, you know, appreciative of the band and... You know, one, one, one or two bad albums, or three, or four, won't stop me from appreciating the ones that I love. That's fair enough. So that's the Strokes. But we want to get your input. Think of an artist you love. What does their music mean to you? What would you have them do? Go out in a blaze of glory? Or stumble through a field of ashes? We're all worried about seeing the bands we love falling apart at the seams. How does the story of your band go? Let us know. I'm Vincent. And I'm Crew. In many ways, we'll miss the good old days. We'll see you next time. Drums, please, Fab.